Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, we are talking to Anne. And Anne, it sounds like based on what you wrote, you've been doing a ton of deep work um, around you know, your intuition, around it sounds like being at peace with being single, um, but also really you wanted to talk more about diving deeper into what you said is integration and being. And so I'd love if you could kind of take us into what, what's alive for you right now and, and kind of some background on what you're struggling with. I think what is alive for me right now is, um, it's, it's been a whole year of, um, I think digging into, um, a relationship that ended and, um, recognizing my patterns and the way I show up in relationship and also my relationship to myself in the world. And mm. um, I feel like I've done a lot of work around recognizing my codependency and some of my patterning. Um, and I feel like I've done most of the modalities of, of healing and therapy and done a lot of digging and i think the work now is how to how to integrate it and embody it and um i do think there's a struggle to trust myself um mm. you know you have all this knowledge and all this understanding and um how do you walk forward with this knowledge and also seek joy and have trust in myself and the way it unfolds. And I think especially in, in relationship to not expecting to see myself in this place and time and just um, really learning to love my life as it is at this moment. Will you tell me a little bit more about what you just said as far as not expecting to see yourself kind of how you're showing up right now or what your life looks like right now? Yeah. Um, I guess I thought at the age of 48, I would be partnered and um, uh, feel more financially secure. I would... Um, not feel alone and um, feel uncomfortable in my life. Um, and I look at my life and it's a beautiful life. And when I see myself reflected through other people, I'm reminded that um, this, this is my life and it's a, it's a wonderful life. And yet it feels very uncomfortable at the same time. It, um, it, it feels like I'm I'm um, struggling to just uh, trust that this is exactly what it should be, 
instead of what I thought it would be. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what came up as you were talking for me, Anne, is I was having a conversation with a girlfriend this moment about the differentiation between comfort and ease. And that mm -hmm. from my perspective, they are very different things, right? And I think that we, in a lot of ways, are really conditioned to believe that a good life is a comfortable life. And um, I kind of don't think so. I think that I've stopped measuring life through um, sort of linear time. And what I've started to make a practice is more measuring my life in moments of expansion and understanding. Now, it sounds like mm -hmm. over the last year, you've had a lot of those moments um, of like, I'm coming into deeper understanding of some things and I'm certainly expanding and expansion is really uncomfortable. You know, our growth so is really <laughs> not a comfortable place to be. Right. And so I think sometimes what takes away from the ease that we can feel in expansion is that we're sort of swimming against the current. We're sort of like in resistance to I don't want it to be this way. I just want it to be what it's been. I should be somewhere. I shouldn't feel this. I should, 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 right? But I think when we say, I am going to be carried where I'm meant to be carried, I will have moments of integration as I am meant to have moments of integration. I think anytime I've ever had clarity, it's never been because I forced myself into the space of understanding mm. something. It just sort of arrived and I was clear about whatever the thing is. But I think we can really try to muscle ourselves into where we feel like we need to be. And from mm -hmm. what I've experienced um, in my 43 years, that's that's actually never been how it works, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. I. I feel like there's signs and what I've been told by the therapist I work with is I've done enough work and now it's time to just be and embody it. And um, I'm, I'm struggling with trusting that it will unfold as it should and that all of this has brought me to this place. And there's this part of me that's a 13 year old self that um, somehow believes it's not fair or it should look different than it does. And so I appreciate that just around stopping the struggle because that's hard for me. Well, I was going to ask too, I mean, when you said, you know, like, what does that look like? I suppose tangibly like in action in your life. So this, this like struggle against, um, or the not believing that it's, I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it, but like the not believing that it's supposed to look this way or the not trusting my intuition or the not trusting that it'll unfold. What does that look like in action or behavior? Um, like in a day to day. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it looks like a full and rich life and yet it doesn't feel complete in some mm. ways. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've said this a couple of times to my therapist is that like, I feel like I'm stitching a life together. Like I get up, I meditate, I walk my dog, I go to work, I'm in relationship to really beautiful friends. And I feel, um, feel incomplete somehow that, you know, maybe because I'm not partnered or because 
I'm 48 and I'm single and I'm doing this all on my own, that it's not quite complete. And I think that's some of the work I've dug into is that um, I ha I have to love myself first and I have to um, to trust myself. And so I think so much of it just has to do with not trusting myself and not believing that this is enough. Mm. Yeah. So and I've made that. incredible, sorry. Mm -hmm. I've, I've made incredible strides in terms of personal development and health and I've traveled and I've taken my writing deeper and yet it just doesn't feel like it's quite right. I'm so struck by that phrase that you use, stitching a life together, because I think what I hear is a lot of intentionality in the way that you are doing that, that I would argue a lot of people don't necessarily have, um, even and especially sometimes when partnered. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's something in the incompletion that is the work that you are being called to do, it feels like right now, and around reframing that as a belief. Um, I don't hear someone who sounds like they're alone to me. It sounds like there's a lot of community and life and love in your world, but we are very much raised in a paradigm that means we are incomplete until partnered. And mm -hmm. sometimes I like yeah. to play the tape through on what kind of life would I stitch for myself if that were never the case. Now, I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that because you have the desire, that will be a part of your life. But I think that there is something that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on a partnership in the belief that I will be complete when this person arrives. And then if I don't feel yeah. that, that person has sort of let me down, right? Um, and so I think there's power in, I am perfect, whole, and complete, and always in the space of expansion. Mm. And what else, universe? Like, what else? Um, can I stitch into this beautiful life that I'm weaving? And if that be partnership from your perspective, because you believe that I'm ready, I'm here for it, I'm open to it, but how do I make it a practice that if this were never anything more than it is, um, how can I really focus in on the richness and trust that this is enough? Mm. That resonates. That um, that absolutely resonates. I. Um, I am dating a little bit and I find that it's all data collection. Um, mm -hmm. And um, what's been interesting to me is I feel for the most part, when I was 25 years old, I remember reading a book by Thich Nhat Hot, and I was like, I'm going to live by through and with love for the rest of my life. And that felt really, really true. And I feel like I've done that and this last breakup just really um it it really rocked my sense and and the core belief around love and mm. um I find that I'm a, the queen of first dates and I just show up and I meet these folks and um it's just not quite right it's like a goldilocks approach of sorts, it's like, you know, this isn't quite right and this isn't quite right. And I think so much of it has to do with trusting my heart and that I have this open heart, but it's a little 
guarded and just Mm -hmm. understanding myself in relationship to those folks is um has just been really interesting because i think as much as i'd like to find a partnership i think there's a part of me that's very guarded and still fearful that um I'll show up in ways that I may contort or that I'll self-abandon or um, I won't be true to me. And so that's an additional layer. And I come from these dates and I feel even lonelier sometimes. Mm -hmm. Will you say more about what your last relationship challenged in terms of the way that you held love? Thank you. That was exactly the same question I was going to ask, Janae. I want to know more about that belief that you had that you then, that apparently was shattered. Um, so I have only, I've had two significant relationships in my life. One was um, I married my prom date of this person for 20 years. And then the last relationship I was with that person for five years. And um I think I just loved wholeheartedly. I was willing to love them. I think sometimes in spite of them not loving themselves. And um, I was willing to compromise and um, contort at times um, to meet them where they were. And I realized that um, I tend to pick partners that lack capacity and capability and a willingness to meet me where I'm at. And so in some ways I feel that I lacked a lot of boundaries around my love and I was just constantly willing to extend grace and understanding to these, um, to these men who um, weren't able to do the same thing for me. And so in some ways I feel like I can't trust my big heart. How does that trend? Like, what was the belief I suppose? So if that's the behavior, what do you believe the belief is or was that kind of led to that behavior? Um, I wanted to be chosen. I wanted my love to be, enough to be chosen mm-hmm. wanted my love to be worthy and um, to worthy of them to compromise and show up in different ways so is that what ch- being chosen looked like in action compromise and showing up in different ways um the reason why i'm asking you to get specific is because this feeling of not being chosen is powerful and one to really sit with and kind of mull over. And it's something I also have personally struggled with too. But sometimes I'm curious about the idea, like big idea of a desire to be chosen in contrast to what does being chosen actually translate into. So I'm curious if you actually can articulate that. What being chosen looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it it means it's a safe love where I'm able to um, 
be entirely who I am and be seen and heard and um, not rejected. I feel like a lot of times um, I was willing to let that other person kind of drive that relationship. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's, um, I think it's collaboration. And I think it's um, being willing to show up every day and work towards a common future. I feel the last two people I picked, um, both were unwilling to build towards the future. You know, Mm. this is what they could offer and I can either do it or not. And I feel like my last relationship, my partner made it so small that eventually I just, like, I remember saying to myself, like, you need to love yourself more than you love this man. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I guess feeling chosen feels like someone's willing to show up for me um, and do the work around um, building a relationship that's safe um, and building towards common goals. You know, it's so funny. And Vanessa said, I I struggle with this too. And I would argue that we all do, because from my perspective, this is the collective wound of the feminine and what it is for women in a patriarchal society. When we are basically raised with the idea that we are commodities and that, you know, you are worthy when you are chosen by someone and you're plunked up and someone says, I choose this one and I, she is worthy of me marrying her. Right. And the struggle with that, the trouble with that is that um, it really leads us to a place of, from my perspective, starting to project onto something in an exchange. Like Vanessa and I talk a lot about like how our ideas of love are very transactional. You do this for me and I'll do this for you, but we're not actually in relationship with that other person. I'm oftentimes projecting onto them, and this is what like we as women do very commonly, um, their potential, who they could be mm-hmm. if they just are able to fix this and this and get this in check, and then they'll be the man that I, I want them to be. Yeah. Obviously, I'm speaking heteronormatively, but you know, the work is to be our, like, and so what we're doing when we do that is we're sort of outsourcing our masculine energy, right? I am, I'm Mm -hmm. going to um, believe that one day he will rise and be my knight in shining armor and do all of these things for me and see me in the way that I long to be seen and acknowledged and a little bit of a um, patriarchal wound there. But the work is for me to really wholeheartedly see me and do the work to stay with my own like innate worth. Right. And Mm. so what that means is I'm only interested in a partnership um, where I believe and have become obsessed with these two fundamental components that I stole from one of my mentors, Esther Perel, that um, each relationship in order to have fulfillment needs inspiration and respect. And Mm. if those two components are not like really, really there for this person, not who they could be someday, not if they just got like 10 things in order, I would like, I would be inspired and really respect who they are. But right now who this person is inspires me, makes me want to be a better version of myself to like meet them where they are. But I feel like a lot of times we get it backward. We're sort of like projecting this image of who this person 
could be. I just need them to choose me and then, and we'll get to that part later, right? And the work for us as women, from my perspective, is really to choose myself. And I believe, and I feel strongly about this, and this is not a popular stance, our work as women is to get a lot more comfortable staying in the discomfort of being alone until we find a relationship that is worthy. Not, you know, I just am waiting for somebody to choose me. I'm just sitting here on the shelf so somebody can choose me and plunk me up like a nice piece of fruit. Like, no, I choose. I choose when I find something that is worthy of all that I know that I am. And when I'm so unbelievably inspired by who this person is, that I can't not choose it. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. By the way, you've done that at a few crossroads in your life. And I'm going to guess that that what Danae just said, because here's the thing, conceptually and like, again, tangibly, even if we don't have the words for the concept, and even if we typically don't act out tangibly what she's saying, for many of us, it starts to come through in blips. It starts to come through in moments, right? And it's hard. But when you talk about your last relationship, the moment of, I need to choose, I need to love me more than I love this person. And they've given me such a narrow idea of what this relationship does and will look like. And that's not enough for me. That's not big enough for me. That act in that moment was you choosing you. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I actually think too, this practice of choosing ourselves similar to the practice of finding joy, similar to the practice of, you know, weaving together this tapestry of life that I love and am fulfilled by, like all of these kind of more mindful approaches to living, which come in moments, they come in bite-sized pieces, right? It's the same with the act of choosing yourself. Because today, I don't know if you agree, but even this concept of like loving myself, choosing, like some of these bigger concepts, it's like, I, of course, I want to be in that state all of the time. Who doesn't? But I also know that there are moments where childhood wounds come up, you know, things get activated or triggered from past. And like, I might lose my footing. I might not be in a state of choosing myself. And so this is more of my kind of, let's put this mindfulness hat on and say, I don't need to seek out to be in a state of love all of the time. I don't need to seek out. Mm -hmm. This is the work. This is the doing versus being. I don't need to actively seek out needing to choose myself all the time. Because to me, sometimes that can feel almost like another to-do list, like a checklist item. What I need to do is get really familiar with what that feels like in my body when I do choose myself Mm -hmm. and allow myself to come back to that place as often as I can and revel in that feeling when it happens, when I make it happen for myself and allow that feeling to kind of be nectar and say, Ooh, that was nice. Yeah. It was hard. It was uncomfortable, of course, but Ooh, that was nice. That's the thing I'm going to keep going for. I don't know if that is helpful in any way, but I, again, to today's point, as somebody who struggles with the choosing me, which you've said today, is kind of a cultural wounding or more of a feminine wounding versus like a maybe individual wounding. When I'm in those moments of choosing me, oh God, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. And I know it. And I think there's something in the doing versus being aspect of that too. Yes. Like to me, there's a lot of like surrender. Like mm-hmm. we want to reach for something outside of ourselves to make us feel worthy. And like that to me is a worthiness wound. That thing of like, um, I need someone outside of me to choose me to believe 
believe, excuse me, that I'm worthy of being chosen. But what if there is nothing outside of me that I get to reach for in this moment? I just got to stay with me. I got to sit in this. I got to ride the wave until the wave has passed. There's power in that. And what we teach ourselves is I got me and I'm resilient and I'm still okay. And then, yeah, the euphoria that B's talking about comes, but it doesn't come because we like intellect our way into it. It's Mm -hmm. like a felt sense, like that we get when we're proud of ourselves, when we, that we get, when it's like, I did that, I'm still here. And look at me, look what I've overcome. I'm proud of who I am, you know? And it's not like a mountain peak that we reach and put our flag in, you know, it's, it's, it's like mountains that we kind of continually climb over and over throughout our lifetime. Because I mean, let's be real. We're, we're deprogramming, unlearning, retraining, whatever word you want to use generations of the patriarchy, right? I mean, generations of the oppression of all of these beautiful qualities of the feminine. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this idea of reaching happy, you know, happy is not a thing that we reach. You have moments of joy. That's what that means. Right. And as long as we say like, here's this, here's this tip of this mountain that I'm working towards. I mean, that's what, that, that makes for a very long and grueling life in my, in my opinion and experience, <laughs> you know, cause I don't know if I'm ever going to reach the top of that mountain. And the more I try to reach the top of that mountain, I think the further away that mountain continues to get, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This resonates so much. I just want to say thank you because I think there is a softness and surrender and my mind fights it so much because I'm, I'm so used to intellectualizing everything and making sense of it. And it's, it's hard to stay embodied. And, um, I think it's hard to surrender because I think I'm, I'm been in such a state this, this year and last year of just like digging and uncovering. And I think there's something around just relaxing into what is, Mm. you know, because I am really proud of how I've showed up. There's been, I call this the dark night of the soul year. It's just been mm-hmm. like matrix, matrix, matrixing in and out of just like a little bit of chaos and trying to um, just meet the moment where it's at. And there's a part of me that's just a little tired too. And I don't trust that. I'm just like, just keep going, just keep going mm-hmm. instead of just let yourself be. I think there's so much power in what Vanessa said too about not seeing that any of this is a point of arrival. Now, I do feel like there yeah. are moments where it's like, yeah, I, I went through a little bit of a dark night of the ego there. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. I, I see that that was a year, right? And some of that has lessened. And even in the midst of the lessening, there will still be challenge. There will still be moments of, I'm tired of being alone. You know, I'm tired Mm -hmm. of feeling like I'm lonely. I'm tired of feeling like I got to own my stuff and look inward and do this work. To use your words, it's not fair, right? You get to feel that. You get to love Mm -hmm. yourself through that. Like, yeah, that's how it feels right now. It'll probably feel different when I wake up tomorrow. But if we normalize, this is the stuff of life. Like, Mm -hmm. no, nobody partnered, not partnered, you know, all the financial means, whatever the variables are that we think are going to give us that point of arrival, it doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. And so when we say this is what life is, 
life is riding the waves of discomfort until they cease. And then, you know, just really being on the highs of the moments of ecstatic joy when they arrive and all of the things in between. And it's beautiful and it's exactly what it's meant to be. Yeah. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, Because even if I know that, I think when I'm in it, I, um, I forget that this is all part of it, right? There's 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows and it's just all part of it. And, um, yeah. <sighs> Collective sigh. We're holding you mm-hmm. energetically in this. Thank you. And, you know, listen, I mean, you're putting words to something that you know, whether partnered or not partnered, whether seeking or desiring of partnership or not, like it doesn't matter those of us, three of us sitting here or those listening, it doesn't matter where you kind of fall in that. What you're speaking to is a collective experience and it shows up in my male clients as much as it shows up in my female clients, because to what Danae speaks about all the time, this is not a gendered thing. You know, this is the, this is the feminine that has been repressed. And so a lot of us are out here running around attempting to be chosen, seeking out, right? Mm. Like outside of self, externalizing that. Um, And so I think you are putting maybe words to something that a lot of people are going to be able to kind of feel into. Um, And so thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, V. I think that it is a collective awakening that we are experiencing. We're talking about thousands of years of patriarchal rule that is, I believe, on its last stand. And this is the moment that we get to live through, that is the rising of the collective feminine in all of us. And that means the work that you're doing is really, from my perspective, Anne, so that you can be a leader in this new paradigm that we are creating, where we lead from our hearts and we stay with ourselves through the moments of discomfort. And we don't intellect our way um, through everything. And we don't sort of muscle ourselves into where we feel like we need to be. We're sort of putting down that wounded masculine armor as a society and saying, no, it's time for us to come back to our souls and really allow for the complexity and the nuance of what it is to be human. But we trust, you know, struggling to trust. We trust that that's what we came yeah. for. That's why we're here. So it's so beautiful to be alive at a time where we're really able to um, to hold one another in the complexity of what this is that we're becoming. I really appreciate you too. Um this time and um just a reiteration of like choosing myself and mm-hmm. softening around the struggle and just being right where i am it's a, it's a good reminder so thank you very much thank you thank you em. do us a favor though um you know just keep us posted let us know how you're doing on the journey of being uh, <laughs> <laughs> i will thank okay. you I love. Yeah, the the goal is to be chosen. You know, that's like literally the um, intro chapter to my book. It's amazing how much this is a collective theme that we are really doing work around examining. Um, And it's just fascinating to me how much this is the conversation that I have with women 
constantly that this is, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I realize how much that was what I was trained to do. And now I'm reflecting, you know, did I choose this or was I just so hungry to be chosen mm-hmm. that I sort of fell into something that doesn't feel true to me? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, something similar that I'm writing in my proposal right now is it's like we get to this, many of us get to this place where we check the boxes and we just are so let down, right? It's like we get to this place and we're like, wait, is this all there is? Like, I thought I was supposed to feel X, Y, and Z once I did all of these things. And it's a fallacy, right? Mm-hmm. And whether you get married, quote unquote, get married at, you know, 22 or whether you get married at 42, like this idea that this, first of all, is some kind of finish line. But second of all, this is going to give you any sense of completion or wholeness or being chosen or all of these feelings that we've essentially been sold is the the work like, oh, I got to seek this out. I got to find it. I got to find it. It's all bullshit. And and what does it do, right? I mean, this this story, this myth that has been created through the patriarchal structure that we live in, it keeps us on a constant external voyage. It keeps us constantly distracted, looking outside of ourselves so that we don't ever get still and look inward. So we don't ever get still and come back to the the real power that comes from I choose me, I see me, I sit with me, I value me, right? Um, so now is there is there struggle in that power? Is there discomfort in that power? Is there pain in that power? Sure. I mean, of course. But, you know, it's like I was saying to Anne, like when you're in those moments where your brain is not involved, it's just in your body and you're like, ooh, boy, that feels good. If you can be tuned in enough to experience that feeling, and it's like a drug. I mean, then you know why you just continue to try to find those hits. Because once you feel that kind of feeling, that euphoria, that was the word you used, you're not going to, it becomes harder to settle, I suppose, for not having it. Yeah. I love that she spoke about struggling to trust and, you know, I always bring it back to these polarities, but I think if we look at what a patriarchal structure promises, it is the promise of security. It is the Mm -hmm. promise of the known. It is the promise of that there is a path you follow and it will keep you safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's a time, if we think back in terms of why that was something that was really valuable to women when these structures were created is because women needed that safety to survive. Mm -hmm. And now we are evolving and have evolved to a space where the autonomy that we often talk about is becoming more valuable. But in that, that is the feminine, that is the, you know, the trusting of self, the trusting of me being held by something bigger. And my intuition is what I have to lean on. But intuition isn't something that we sort of have a map laid out before we go into the trust, we sort of trust, you just take that step, that leap of faith and trust that you will be held. But it's scary because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the the security that was offered by these patriarchal systems was always an illusion. None of it was ever real. Nothing's ever promised or certain or secure, but it gave us the illusion that we were safe, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're trading in that false sense of safety for something that 
cannot be taken. Like if I have to trust in myself, if I have to lean on myself and always bring the focus back to me, can't take me away from me. As long as I'm breathing, I, I've got me. That's the one thing that can never be rocked or taken away. You know? yeah. So to me, it, it feels like a more solid foundation ultimately, but getting there is, is the scary part. You know? Right. That's that whole like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't. I mean, for so many of us, we'll, we'll choose the devil we know, um, even if it's horribly wrong for us, you know, because at mm -hmm. least I know it, at least I understand it. And I think for many of us, that's, that's the structure. And so there are brave souls out there that are challenging it and doing that inner work. And so people like Anne, you know, that are bringing that mm -hmm. and just continuing to kind of go back, go back, go back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She, she's, um, you know, I say to, I've said a bunch of times to clients and to groups where, you know, being, being somebody who's a trailblazer, even the idea of trailblazer, like that word is like, it, it sounds so cool. It sounds so, um, <laughs> you know, like that's the hero in the story. Um, but also being a trailblazer kind of sucks because you don't have anything to look to that's done, you know, no one to look that's done it before you, you have no guide to kind of lean on. And so while it's, empowering. It's also really scary to be a trailblazer. And so I think there's power in those of us who are doing this work to kind of continually come back, have our voices heard, remind those other trailblazers out there that they're not alone in it. Um, we might not have had someone specifically to look to in front of us, but we've got each other to kind of continual, continually lean on, I suppose, on that journey. It's always the, the dance between safety and aliveness. And I think that we are all trailblazers when we are fully awake and really, you know, in the space of, of questioning. And in order to just stay in the space of safety for a lifetime, I think we really have to disconnect from ourselves. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm -hmm.